Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. What's goody, Hot Breathiverse? Welcome back to Hot Breath, the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I am your host, comedian Joel Byers, and this episode is a first of its kind. We've been doing a lot of first of its kind this year after we've done over 300 interviews with comics. We're really looking to start empowering the hot breath Last week, you actually heard a private coaching session I did with Hot Breath Pro Bo Johnson, helping him level up his writing and punch up some ideas he had. This week, so many of you enjoyed hearing the writing process and learning about Bo. Bo actually did a podcast. We're calling it the Hot Breath Pro Podcast. And Bo actually interviewed one of his favorite comics, Mr. James P. Connolly, who you may know from Bob and Tom or Netflix and several other things. But this is a great interview, just talking comedy. We go deep while we, Bo, they go deep on the Zoom side of comedy and really the future of comedy and James' journey and his how he's been able to get a lot of corporate work and now adapting into this new world of comedy that we're all trying to survive. So we're all in this together, hot brethren and sister, and that's the most important thing to remember. And if you want to connect with me and other members of the Hot Breathiverse, go join our free Facebook group, The Comedy Writing Room. It's linked in the show notes. You just go on Facebook, search Writing Room, and it'll be the first thing you see. But now we'll see you in the outro because there's only one thing left to do now. And that is inhale a hot breath with James P. Connolly. All right. Hot breath of verse. Welcome to a this week's um, Q&A. I am comedian Bo Johnson. Joel Byers is on assignment this week, um, which is great because that means I get to hog up all the time and all the good questions for one of my favorite comedians. Um, I've been listening to him for several years now, um, and he is a master when it comes to misdirections, a master at the corporate scene. And so he's someone to learn a lot from. Um, and so without further ado, JP, James P. Connolly. Um, welcome, James. Thank you. First of all, being called a master, I feel now that I should say nothing to just let my master status rest. <laughs> I, well, can, you know, I, yeah, you, I you, can only mess it up at this point, man. I can only mess it up. You did, you did have the album, The Master Plan. And, yes. Uh, apparently, I guess some of it worked. Um, <laughs> yeah, some some of it worked. It is some of it worked. <laughs> but I, so you went from the Marine Corps to Harvard to comedy. So first of all, thank you for your service um, to our country. But so kind kind of tell us how did you go? Like how did that progress from Marine yeah. to Harvard to? Actually, this is this is going to shock you more. It actually went Harvard, then Marine Corps, then stand up comedy. So it was actually it's even more ludicrous when i tell people that i went to harvard and then i was in the marines the first thing they always say to me is you didn't graduate did you because <laughs> it makes no sense and then when i tell them no i did the marines afterwards so well i actually went to harvard on a marine corps scholarship so because i didn't have the money so i got an rotc scholarship 
And I went there. And then when I got out, I had to do four plus years of active duty. And so, but when I was in the Marine Corps is the first time that I actually got the bug to do comedy because I was in Desert Storm when I was working for a colonel. We had all these reserve officers attached to us. And so to help kind of little bond the, the group together, the colonel wanted to roast all the new officers that were attached <laughs> there. And I worked for the colonel and I was about as much of a smart ass as you could be and still maintain the dignity of being a military <laughs> officer. So, excuse me, he called me in to, you know, he wanted me to write jokes for him to roast people. But, you know, that was basically, I was given a lawful command by my superior officer to write jokes. So <laughs> I had to do it. So we <laughs> like, you know, a day or two, grab the other lieutenants. We just sat there and we just skewered everybody because the colonel was going to say it. It wasn't going to be me. So I could say, I could lay into someone that was my superior because the colonel was dropping the hammer. So I turned in the material and uh, I get a call. I get, no, I knock on my door like an hour before the dinner and it's my boss saying, hey, the colonel needs to see you right away. I'm like, oh crap. I was like, we crossed the line, you know? So I get in there and I was nervous and he called me in. He wanted tips. He goes, well, how did you see this one being delivered? I was like, oh, well, so, so I got up and I started performing some of the jokes for him. And so, uh, so he killed, I mean, he killed, it was awesome. And so, <laughs> you know, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, okay, if I don't die during the war, when I get back, I'm going to do this now. Cause I wanted to, but it was nice to see it happen, even though I didn't do it, but it was nice to see it happen. So, yeah. So I, I may be the only man who's given a lawful command to become a comedian for right jokes. <laughs> I had no choice. And, so uh, that's funny. So of the few and the proud, you were the few. And the I proud. was the few. Yes, I was the few. And, but I finally, I got to see him like 20 some odd years later, I did a gig in Florida and uh, my Colonel was in the area and he came and watched me perform. And so he got to see, he got to see the evolution of his handiwork. <laughs> <laughs> so of the other guys that you worked with, how many others became a comedian after the oh, service? No, no, never None just, just, no, you. just, Really funny guys, but uh, yeah, just me. So, so you are literally the few of the few. Like, I'm the few of the few. Not always proud, but the few. I know when I was in basic training, anybody that tried to smart off, they 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 felt the punishment. I went I went into the Navy because I didn't know any better. Um, well, you know, I mean, I did some time <laughs> in Navy ROTC, and I I will say this: it was my time in Navy ROTC that allowed me then to want to transfer into the Marine Corps. That's how much it didn't fit for me. Yeah, actually, I, I did the RO, the NJROTC thing too. Um, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I, I honestly, I was trying to go to the Air Force, but the guy would never stop playing golf. And so I ended up in the Navy office and then ended up in going to, uh, to Great Lakes, Illinois. And there uh, you go. And then they kicked me out anyways. So, you know, it's all I good. tried you landed. You landed in comedy. You did it right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I spent some time going, I don't know what I want to do. And then it was like teaching. I was like, all right, this is terrible. And then I was like, I'm going to try this comedy thing and see where this goes. And so a couple years later, here I am. Um, but yeah. So, yeah. So how did you end up going to the corporate comedy? Because, you know, a lot of people just think it's just comedy clubs, try to get an album and that's it. Most yeah. people don't know where to, where their possibilities can lie. You know what? And this was like, people ask me and I've, you know, taught a couple classes on this every now and then, because the, the, for me, it was just happenstance. When I got out of, when I got out of uh, the Marine Corps, 
I started doing stand-up in LA. And then I had lunch with a buddy of mine from college. We were just catching up with each other. And he asked me what I was doing. And I said, well, I'm trying to do stand-up comedy. And he was an account executive at this big corporate communications company. I never heard of it. And he said, you know, we use talent sometimes for these type of gigs. And he explained to me, you know, the trade shows and all that stuff. And he said, you know, we, we're always on the lookout for talent. So he submitted me to his office as a talent he had scouted. And then that office called me in for an audition to host some trade show booth, you know, where every 15 minutes you got to get up there and do the spiel. And so I went in and I auditioned and they didn't know that we knew each other. And I went in and, and then I got the gig. And so um, then after that, I was being used by them for those small type of gigs and then, you know, doing stand up at, at a place and then maybe hosting something. So while that happened, I was starting to just get learn about all the different avenues that comedians are used in corporate entertainment. And even before I became a comedian, I don't want to brag, but I spent a year and a half as a mobile disc jockey karaoke host. And, um, <laughs> and that was before my tour as a Universal Studios tour guide, but I digress. So when I did that, I started to get some experience doing corporate gigs because the guy that was running the mobile DJ company tried to expand his company into corporate entertainment. So he started using me. So all this happened at the same time that I was learning how to become a stand-up comedian. So for me, it all just, it was like two parallel careers that were just building, helping each other. And then at one point I just merged the two of them. And that's how I started doing all this type of stuff. So it really wasn't any master plan, you know, no pun intended. It wasn't <laughs> any yeah, copyright. It wasn't any, um, you know, anything other than it happened at the same time. And then I realized, you know what, my stand-up career and this corporate hosting stuff, they're separate and they should be, they should be the same career, just flipping back and forth. So that's kind of how I got in. You know, and that's kind of interesting because we were interviewing Angela Johnson and it's almost similar. She's like, this era, this life chose me. Like I didn't choose it. It chose me. And it sounds like you're saying like that corporate thing just chose you and it yeah, I didn't say, you know what I should do? I should do corporate comedy to make money because that's really my joy. That's not all what I said as a comedian. It was just mm -hmm. people were, were hiring me to MC and host things for these private shows, right? Awards, fundraisers, sales meetings, trade shows. And my act at the time was a character. So people who saw me do stand-up couldn't visualize that I could do anything else. And people that saw me host would look at my act and go, well, that doesn't make sense. So at some point after some success as a standup, I decided, you know what, I need to stop. I want to stop doing this character and I need to be me because I want people that see me do standup to say he'd make a great host. And the people that see me host want to come see me do standup. So I just stopped being two people and started being one. But yeah, this was just a, it just opened its doors to me and I followed it. So I just have to ask, what was the character? Well, it was just kind of a, you know, it's off my first album, album. That's how old I am. Uh, it was just kind of an over-the-top, arrogant, uh, but vacuous individual, much like I am in real life. So <laughs> it was just kind of, you know, that was my comedy angle. So all the jokes were written from this perspective. And so it was hard for me to learn how to be me. That was a tough turn. <laughs> that actually gets us to our first listener question. Um, Bob Webb wanted to know, how do you like to work out the, um, sorry, wrong question. Um, Bob how do I Kirk. work out? <laughs> yeah, I like to work out. Sorry, Bob Kirk asked, um, how much time are you spending when it comes to this, to the corporate? Like, is, is there, do you prepare differently between on stage and the corporate? Um, 
Well, when I do stand up at a corporate gig, it's just, you know, taking which part of my act will work in that venue and then looking at it as an individual unique show. You know, what's it about? What are they here for? What's the common universal experiences that we have? And so I'll just, you know, I prepare for those shows like I would prepare for any show. If you said, hey, you're doing a comedy club show today and there's going to be a bunch of guys from IBM. And by the way, the, you know, the rodeo's in town. Okay, well, there's stuff to work with to kind of personalize the set. But it's really just about choosing the material that I have that works for stand-up and then being aware of why they're here and then just bending my setups so that it seems like I've written all these jokes for them. And if I'm hosting, though, I write original material daily and just try it the next day. You're basically experiencing it, hosting something during the day, rewriting things, showing up the next day and doing original material. So that's fun. It's stressful, but it's fun because you just do jokes you'll never do again. You get one shot. And if it works, you feel like it's <laughs> If it doesn't, you're like, eh, I wrote it in my hotel this morning. We'll do something else. <laughs> uh, so what's it been like during this pandemic to do corporate events? Are you still working corporates? Or is it just all straight Zoom? You know, it's all Zoom, but the corporates have also appeared in Zoom. They realize that they have to get together anyway. So they might as well have. I've hosted an award show and the guy, there was, the, the people were all over the country in Zoom, right? I'm standing in a t-shirt and shorts in my living room. <laughs> The guys who are directing this are in a basement in New Jersey and they gave me a script and I just set this thing up in Zoom and I set my iPad above my laptop. So I would do my thing, announce this award winner. They would cut the camera to the, the person that got the award. I would just go forward my finger and scroll my iPad, change the script, and then they would cut back to me. And it was so easy to do. And I got paid. And... I was like, okay. I mean, I just was talking to you earlier. I just had to, got an email from someone they want to, to me to host something. And you're like, I'm doing this in my bedroom, you realize, with a green screen in my bedroom, hosting these events. And it cracks me up. So, <laughs> it, and they're it, emailing you from their bedroom. Exactly. Hopefully, and it, hopefully wearing some clothes and, you know, probably not in front of the green screen. So I would, you know, still mostly do, I just do straight stand up on the Zoom shows, but that's just writing new material and generating new material. But I'm still getting, emails for private events and people do holiday parties or people do, you know, their, their company has to meet and they decide, well, let's throw a comedian on the last 10, 15 minutes to make it different. So those are the things that are still coming to me. Yeah. Um, and that actually goes back to the first question. I almost messed up from Bob Webb for Ben Webb. Um, how do you like to work out your jokes? Do you write everything longhand? Is it just on stage and a feel for it? Is it a combination? How do you work things out? Um, well, I'll answer this in the pre-pandemic period, and then I will answer this in the pandemic period. Uh, during the pandemic period, um, I will write things out and literally just write it verbatim and just post it up like a cue card. And because I have teleprompter skills, I can glance, look, come back and pull it down. So it allows me to do bits that I wrote that day verbatim and pause because of Zoom so it really makes generating new material way easier. Um, the read is different, you know, because it's Zoom. But so I do find myself writing it out and posting it in front of me so I can try it. Um, but for pre-pandemic periods, you know, if I have an idea, I'll just usually break it down into a two or three beats or concepts that I think are solid and then just take it on stage 
and just work around those beats and then just see what happens. You know, if I have confidence in these three, four ideas, then I'll just go out and do it and then record every set and then listen how I do it. If I have two shows that night, I'll listen to the first one in between shows, listen to how it went, write down my notes, maybe bounce it off a comic, rewrite it with them, and then go back on and do it show two. And then after show two, I'll listen to both sets as I'm driving home. And in my head, I'm rewriting it again. So sometimes by the time I get home, I'll just quickly write down. And now it's just moved from loose idea, two shots, buddy rewrite, and then me rewriting it on the way home. So I go to bed happy because it's like getting three or four rewrites in one night. You write daily? I do now, mostly so I don't lose my mind during the quarantine. Um, it's really helped me write every morning. Just even if it's just, you know, most of my ideas, I talk into my phone. I just talk it whenever it hits me. I'll stop conversations with my son and go, did that? Talking in the idea and then go back and talk to him. So he knows the idea go, huh? You know, no, no, I don't care. Parenting is second to a good idea. My son's bleeding, just pressure on the wound, son. Let me get this idea on my phone. And then we move forward. So what I found is I just generate then constantly without any sense of pressure, without any sense of bizarre discipline like I have to sit down and write for an hour I just generate ideas whenever they strike then I'll sit down in the morning and listen to some of them and just go through them and one one that strikes my fancy or something is interesting to me so there's always ideas to choose from and then when something works you know that's the one I jump on and just ride that horse as hard as I can until I get it to where I think okay this is good and now I'll just do it a million times until it gets better about how much time do you think you're spending each day writing? Um, you know, in the morning, I probably write about, I'll go over comedy anywhere from, you know, 30 minutes to an hour in the morning, just going over ideas and writing things down. If it's going well, that could go, you know, up to two hours if I'm writing things out. And I have, it depends if I have shows that night, Zoom shows, like right now, I'll spend an hour and a half in the morning because you're writing and rewriting and typing it out and figuring this bit out. And so I know I get shots at it. So I get excited if I have a show. I write more the days I have shows because I know I'm going to get a read. And if I have two shows in one night, that's like phenomenal because you get, you get the, the write, the rehearsal, the first shot, the rewrite, the second shot, and then the post second shot rewrite. And so that bit has been through the ringer for me for one day and I'm confident to know if it's good or if it sucks. Sometimes you do all that and you go, oh, this really was not a good idea. <laughs> that's, that's but I'm confident in how bad this idea was. And usually for me, if it doesn't work, it's because I'm forcing something. The idea was good, but I'm forcing jokes. And that's usually when I just say, you know, I need to go back and figure out why was it funny to me and then just start from a different place. So, so basically let it just occur naturally. Yeah. So then I might just, I had one I ditched and then I just got it down to just the opening concept. And I just did the opening concept one day. I was so frustrated with all the writing on it. I just threw it in the set. And the minute I did it, a buddy of mine who was on the show hit me up in the chat. He goes, Oh my God, I love that idea. And he immediately pitched me two tags. And I was like, Oh my God, like, that's what I've been looking for. He opened up the direction. And then I wrote the bit from his angle and it was great. And that's just cause I did it. And that's just because as comics, we get excited and, you know, weigh in on someone's bit that you like, throw that tag, man. That guy, he helped me out. He's a great comic. 
Yeah, you know, that's actually one an interesting thing is because when we interviewed Jeff Foxworthy, he said, get a writing partner, someone that you can trust, write with. Other comics have said the same thing. Find out one writing person who's just as funny, you know, and you can trust and just like get with them and bounce stuff. If you, you find like that's that's something you do a lot with your comedy. Yeah, I don't I've never had a writing partner, but I do love my attitude is, you know, my friends, the people that I enjoy we all watch each other and we, we listen and we give feedback to each other. And so if you create an ecosystem of your comedy friends, you know, nothing makes me happier when I just go to flappers, run a new material in the Yoohoo room, right? Maybe there's 15 people, but then I see my four friends who come in the back of the room just to watch me. And that makes me feel so respected. And then I get off and they're like, great job, man. Hey, I love that. And then they just start throwing things at me. And I'm like, I should pay them and <laughs> do it for each other because we like each other's acts. We're, we're, we're supporting each other, but that's like, you know, or you're, you're complaining about a bit and you, your buddy's like, what's up? I had a bit didn't work. We'll run the bit by me. And we just hash it real fast. So that's what I miss about live clubs. I love it when my buddies do it on zoom. And uh, so I don't have a partner, but I just believe in putting in good mojo into the ecosystem by always stepping up and, telling someone what's a great bit and what you like about it and maybe throw an idea their way and it comes back to you too. So it really helps. I mean, and, and it's interesting and your writing process is, has got to be interesting the way your mind works because like when I was listening to yet again, master plan, you have this like mastery of misdirection that just catches everybody off guard. Cause I know you, I remember you had the one line where uh, you wanted to see your father in the hospital and he looked up at you and said, and you are, and it's like, yeah. or you, you took all the mirrors off your wall and you put up the pictures of who you want to be and you get up and you look at it and says, man, I am one good looking black man. And it's like, <laughs> how do you, like, where does your mind go to come up with a misdirection just to throw everybody off like that? You know, um, I, there's a guy, Brian Kiley, head writer for Conan. He's like misdirection. He's just so good at this stuff. And um, for me, you know what? I don't know. It's just, I listen to people talk and I, and at some point in the conversation, my mind just stops and flips the scenario. And so I don't know why or where, but I always enjoy that type of timing. I mean, I just think that, you know, there was one that I had that I really love. It's dark, but I enjoyed doing it. And I talk about how, you know, you know, when I was married, my wife, you know, she was in pain and she had a kidney stone and we didn't know what it was. Right. So we rush her to the hospital and she thinks she's going to die. And she's like, you know, oh, my God, if I die, I want you to remarry. I want you to be happy. I want you to find somebody special, which is so sweet. And obviously she didn't die. But uh, now I got this list of names at home. And uh, <laughs> you're like, I mean, I'm not going to keep the list, but you hate to throw away good data is my point. Right. So it just cracked me up because we were talking about this to someone and I'm telling the story. And then as I'm telling the story, my brain just went, I should probably get rid of that list of names. That's really bad. So I love finding a point in a story. I did one just because I was angry. I was at a club and I was just raging about something my mother said to me and I was just getting so angry. And in my anger, I just wrote a switch joke and the comic laughed so hard. And then the comic laughed. She's like, that's, that's got to be good. So... I don't know what to tell you. It's just a malfunction in my brain process. But I look for that. I, I just look for the moment where you can just redirect it. It's all fair. It makes sense either way. You could linear go this way or this way. And the argument is perfect. It's like two different attorneys 
arguing the same thing <laughs> and all the pieces fit, but one guy makes sense and the other guy goes, you gotta be shitting me. That is <laughs> But the logic works. So that's, the logic has to work on a misdirection. That's my only advice to people writing. The logic has to work. And if you force the pieces and you give away the switch, it's not good. You know, I, I hear people do switch jokes and step one is good and step two is good. Step three, you're giving it away. And then when you hit them with step four, I kind of saw it coming. But if you can do it and so that all the pieces are fair and then switch, those are the best jokes because it just, you get credit for the joke and you get credit for people going, what? And I just love those moments. Love those moments. <laughs> that, that is awesome. Like every, every time I hear, hear one of your misdirects, it's just, it's like, I never thought he was going to go that direction. There's a uh, Quinn Dale's another one, Brian Kylie, Karen Rontowski, just great switch joke writers. And, you know, they're storytellers and then they just throw the switch and the audience is always caught off guard and, and they just love it. They just love it. I, I and I, I want to say I heard you do one on, on somewhere on the radio where you, you were talking about your uh, earthquake fantasy and you just, you roll, you roll the woman over on top of you to shield you from the debris. Oh yeah, that was it. <laughs> I, haven't heard, I haven't thought that a long time ago, but yeah, that was me. I want to, I want to say that was on Bob and Tom or something like that. Um, some, that that. some ridiculous story. I forget what it was. Oh my gosh. Some ridiculous story about dating some woman in some country and something about her funeral. I barely remember the joke, but yes, I did <laughs> at some point I fell down and I, something about falling down and did the, yeah. and I, yeah, shielded her. <laughs> it's it's oh, great. Uh, oh. John, let's see. John P. Smith says, I'm also Whoa, a Marine, so pass along an aggressive hoorah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I recently started following um, your career, especially when I heard um, your name. I thought he was one of my past commanding officers. Um, my previous CEO was Captain J.P. Connolly. Um, interesting. There's, there's more of you in the Marine Corps. Um, wow, that's crazy because I did pick up the rank of captain when I got out, but I was never, I was lieutenant when I was in charge of people. That was something that I got administratively. So if there's another captain, JP Connolly, I'm going to want to know about that. That's, that's an interesting, apparently, um, well, I guess the Marine Corps cloned you. Um, yeah. But I, <laughs> little, I known, think little known experiment, yeah. This might be kind of like one thing we already covered. Um, he said, I'd like to know an overview of his approach slash process of writing bits for a stand-up versus um, the corporate. So, yeah, so you could kind of already answer that one. Um, I, had to, I had, to, had to get a fellow Marine, his question out there like that, you know? Um, so, let me, so, yeah, so we kind of covered that one. Um, so yeah, you also... I will say this about if writing for a corporate, I think the advice I give people is you have to look at it not as something that you can't do. I think don't look at corporates as like, oh, I can't do this and I can't do this. Look at corporate as, think of MacGyver, okay? Rather than going in here with all your tools, I'm going to hand you a spoon, a pillow, and a set of keys. What can you create with a spoon, a pillow, and a set of keys? Corporate gigs are about playing with the toys in the box that you're given. And if you look at it that way, you will create and generate jokes for this environment that work as opposed to performing from a place of, oh, I, I usually do this bit. I wish I could do this. That to me is a negative headspace. So if you get a private gig, just think of it as what you can do. You know, what can you joke about? You can always, always start 
from the universal experience we have together, which is we're in this room together. Okay, that's the universal. So whatever is happening in the moment, the reason they've gathered, those type of things always resonate. I don't care when people want to tell me who's the head of accounting. I don't care any of that crap. That to me is like anybody can do those jokes. Learn how you interact with this. If it feels awkward, be awkward. If you think it's dumb, come from a happily angle where you're making fun of it. it's a little ridiculous. You know, I did one where it was technology and they kept having this thing. They wanted people to go visit the mobility center, right? Which was off to the side. And they said, make sure you let them know it's going to be there tomorrow. And I said, okay, people, just so you know, you can out there will be the mobility center. And in a moment of complete irony, the mobility center will be in the exact same location tomorrow. <laughs> Because it cracked me up to hear someone look at me and go, make sure you let them know the mobility center will be in the same place tomorrow. And they just walked away. And I'm like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. So you take that on stage. So you make something as simple as a housekeeping announcement funny. And it was one, it, the joke killed because it was like, yeah, that sounds stupid. But to them, it sounded normal. A mobility center. What is a mobility center? I know. I just don't. I don't question them. But I just, yeah. I just don't. I was, hey, as long as the money, as long as the check is good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um one question came in um how is it uh to perform for the military you know um first time i did a show i got i've done been to iraq like four or five times in afghanistan a couple times um first time i did a show for the military very awkward for me because uh, last time i was in that environment i was a marine and it was very uncomfortable like i didn't know who to be i didn't know should i act manly should i be a comedian and so um, it took me a few shows to realize that I was there. No one was going to ask me to do anything manly. No one, no, one, no one remotely gave a shit. So I really had to understand that, yeah, I, I came here to be a clown. That's my job. And so uh, then it was really fun to do shows. And I really enjoyed it because afterwards, I loved talking to the men and women because I had been in their shoes. I understood what they were doing. I understood the separation, the distance, all that stuff. So that was the part that was really fun because you, you knew you're, you know, bringing a bright spot in their day, particularly when they're in the middle of nowhere and just chatting them up after the show, that five, 10 minutes was my favorite part. Um, so people that are wanting to get into um, performing for military, do you have any advice for um, where to go, how to, how to come about to do that? Yeah. I mean, first of all, my advice to every comedian is build your act first. Don't worry about anything else. Be funny. Make sure you have a good, 20, 30 minutes to offer before you start going out these things, because that's what's going to be asked of you. Um, and when you have that, you know, there are places you can go. You can do what most comedians do is look around for other comedians that are doing military shows and, and talk to them, you know, reach out to them and ask who books that. Um, there's not a lot of tours that I know of now, but once you get good and you've got good promotional skills or promotional tapes and stuff, you can contact the Armed Forces Entertainment because everything goes through them. They have a website. You have to upload, you know, whatever, I think there's links and letters of testimony from comedy clubs and videos. And then if they accept you, then you can be used to do on certain comedy tours. Um, I work with one called the GIs of comedy. It's all comedians who've been in the military. And so, you know, that's great because they use different comics, different parts of the country. Um, I used to work with a couple others, but I don't know too many. It, everything has to go through Armed Forces Entertainment now. So my advice, or, you know, I don't know if you did this out there in the East Coast, but um, the Armed Services Arts Partnership, if you're a veteran and a comedian, connect to them because they take veterans and use comedy to heal some of the uh, issues that veterans deal with. And so they also have a lot of shows 
out there. But Armed Forces Entertainment is now the big one. Everything goes through them. So uh, get your see what the requirements are on their website and get your stuff together and submit. And I mean, I guess we can do the same question for corporate. If people are wanting to become corporate comics, um, you know, obviously get your act first. Um, but beyond that, I mean, what, what steps can newer comics take that are looking for the corporate side? Well, I would say buy my book, How to Be a Corporate Comedian, costs $200. <laughs> and um, now I would, you know, um, first of all, yeah, get your work on your act. And if you know you want to do that type of stuff, Focus on making your act, uh, I, hate to swear, I hate to say clean, but you need to know where you're going in your career too. Uh, there is more money if you can communicate what you'd like to communicate uh, without being as hard hitting as the clubs will allow you. Uh, if it's not who you are, you know, don't force the peg in the hole. There's other ways to do a comedy career. But if, it, if, if, you, if you lean that way, um, you know, get that act together. You're going to have to be able to bring at least 15 really good minutes to the table to host. You know, a lot of times you do maybe 10 minutes up front. You can sprinkle stuff throughout. Uh, to do corporate comedy, you're going to need at least 30 to be able to bring to the table to promote yourself. Um, other than getting the act that works, the number one thing is going to be a tape of you doing that that's high quality and good audio because corporate entities, they shoot everything in 4K, you know, they spend millions of dollars to do all this stuff. So they're going to need to see you in the light that they want to see you. So a grainy comedy club video is not going to work. Audio echo, not going to work. You're going to need to get a really good tape of yourself, high quality, which is not hard to do anymore to be able to promote yourself there. Now, now I've sent some clips of me on Zoom because now they're looking for virtual hosts. So I, I, I say, here's my reel, but here's me on Zoom because this is the guy you're going to get the guy talking to the computer. So the big two is build the act, make sure you're conscious that you want to do these so that you're working clean. And then uh, the tape, those two things, you know, you, you, recommendations help, comedy clubs that can verify you, but the tape is money. A good high quality tape, you know, they're gonna to wanna to use that person. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that's big advice for everybody. I mean, I've only been doing this three years and I'm still trying to figure it out myself. And coming it never in, ends, man. It never ends. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things I do I do enjoy is um, going to the more experienced comics and um, asking them, you know, you know how 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 did you get here? You know, just just to kind of pick some pick some uh, fruit from the trees, I guess. It's smart to do because you'll find that most comedians who've been doing it a long time, we would love to share what we know because at this point, I'm very grateful that it's all worked out. And uh, I'm very happy when I see a young comic do something on stage, I, I, will go, I will go out of my way to grab them and go, that's funny. You're really talented. You need to keep doing this. Because I, that, when people said that to me, sometimes I had the shittiest sets and I was devastated it didn't work. And some really good comics said, no, they were wrong. You're good. Keep it up. And I drove home elated because that mattered to me more than anything else. So, you know, definitely... Um, if ask questions, I mean, who, what comedian doesn't want to talk to <laughs> make it sound like, well, here's what I do. I, I wear boots. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I'm always flattered to do this, but it's just, you know, just be aware of the comedian that tells you there's only one way. It's just so not true. There's so many ways to do it. So many different angles. Talk to someone that you resonate with 
that you connect with. And remember, they're just giving you their path and you're going to build your own. And see, and it's interesting that you had said that, um, you, had, you said it just a little while ago, is that that when you do terribly, because I, I know a lot of comedians, even myself, you know, you have those good sets, you're like, yes, I'm doing the right thing. And you have those bad sets, you're like, what the hell am I doing? Am I supposed yep. to be here? For those that, that get in that self-doubt mode after a, after a bombing that are, you know, they're in their first couple of years, what, what, what advice do you give them? Well, I don't do what I did. Avoid heavy drinking. Um, it's number one advice. Uh, you know what? It's part of the process. Someone, um, a former manager gave me good advice. You're never as good as you think you are and you're not as bad as you think you are. You have a window of performance and the goal is over time, that window just moves up. So your bad shows aren't as bad anymore, right? So you just understand you're st we're all, we all have bad shows. We're all going to just miss the mark not quite communicate, pick the wrong, it happens all the time. And so it never goes away. So don't get lulled into the idea that it goes away. It's your friend, embrace the suck. It's gonna be part of your life. It just gets better to deal with over time. Like I went from being devastated, having bad sets to it actually cracking me up that I could be successful and then walk into a room and eat it and go how, like, Nothing makes me laugh more than I'm doing great. And then I switch gears to a bit and the whole room un unanimously decides it's not funny. And that used to bother me. Now I'm like, the power to turn the room both ways is devastatingly funny to me. So <laughs> it just doesn't change. So it gets better, it feels better, but it's just part of it. I mean, you're gonna suck. And it's just, you know, and you're gonna walk into shows and go, what am I doing here? I promised myself I would never do this type of show again. And you do, and you do. <laughs> a lot of people in 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 this group the hot breath group that that listen to these podcasts and watch them and and we also have a like a, a writing group every every morning at 10 a.m we have a lot of comedians who are just now starting out a couple months ago trying to give this a hand yeah what advice can you give to those ones that like literally just started doing comedy Understand that what you're attempting to do in the middle of a pandemic, the degree of difficulty on your dive is beyond anything I've experienced. So cut yourself some slack and knowing that starting now is brutal because you're not even getting a chance to develop this art the way you're going to end up doing it. So uh, just stay in the game, learn what you can, master this medium as best you can, and then be prepared to adjust. Like I learned. I did one live show and I was, I developed a zoom rhythm we talked about earlier, the pausing and the way it works. And then I took those and I did a couple of live shows, well, live in front of cars and people on a patio. And I could hear the difference in some jokes that sounded great on zoom, but weren't landing live. So my advice to young comics starting is there's going to be a difference. Okay. And you're going to have to make the adjustment. I thought certain jokes were working really well because on zoom, if there's an audience of 25 people, and two people laugh loud, guess what you hear? Two hysterically loud laughing people, and it sounds like the joke works. Now, go live. In a room full of 20, if two people laugh, you're like, woo, something went wrong. So mm. it made me rewrite a couple of jokes because there were parts of the joke that I thought were good that weren't holding up. So that's a big thing. If you're, if you're going in now as a Zoom comic and you're learning this, just know there's an adjustment period. It's totally normal. And don't be devastated by the joke that you thought was killing it. Because on Zoom, you know, one loud person fills your ear like an auditorium. And then when you go live, you know, one person, it's just that one guy that goes, I still think it's funny. 
<laughs> well, uh, James, do you have anything um, you want to promote? Social media, any upcoming events? No, as we joked about before this, most of my upcoming events are all very tentatively booked, so I wouldn't I wouldn't go out of your way and buy tickets too early uh, with the pandemic. But you can, uh, you know, I'm on uh, Instagram at James P. Conley, Facebook at James P. Conley official, probably because of that Captain Conley. And then uh, you can go to jamespconley.tv, but I'm very Googleable and findable. And so most of my shows now are on Zoom, 99% of them. So wherever you are, wherever couch you sit on, whatever part of America, Canada or beyond, I'm findable. So now's your time to jump in. You can see backdrops like this change dramatically during the <laughs> And from our conversation earlier, he's getting booked on shows he still don't even know about yet. So I just say I'm getting I've turned down shows that I maybe could I just I just I'm getting emails as we talk and I'm just like I, I don't know. So it's just yeah, check it out. I changes every week. I'm on shows. Yeah, I'm on shows with him that I don't know. I have no idea. We're on the same show together. <laughs> yeah, we're, told so speedy. we're doing a show together for Flappers Comedy this Saturday, and I kind of like drop the news on James, like, hey, I just saw this email. You're gonna, we're gonna be together. No idea. I had no idea. Which, which means he'll st he'll steal the show no matter what, and hopefully yep. I go on before him because that's a hard act to follow. <laughs> yeah, it's all good in the Zoom room. All right. Well, any last words that you want to give to to new comedians? No, it's just great. Thank you for the time. It's always great to talk to comics, and you know, I'm reachable via the website and social media if you have any questions man you know shoot them to me if i have the time i'll answer happy to share what i know and uh, stave off some mistakes that i made and you can go out and make your own mistakes that's what comedy is all about <laughs> well thank you so much james for your time my pleasure man i'll see you saturday. five o'clock on saturday <laughs> thank you all right so that was james p Connolly. um if you've never heard him you can find um, his albums on Spotify, on iTunes. Um, his, the last big one he had was the master plan. Um, and I mean, just go back and go through this a few times. I mean, there's a, there's a lot to learn from him. And if you have, do have questions, don't be afraid to reach out. He's, um, very approachable. He loves, uh, answering questions. Um, that's how I got him booked on this show. Um, so hot breath of verse, as Joel would say, let's land this plane. Um, this has been a Hot Breath Q&A um, sponsored by Joel Byers and Hot Breath Pro. And of course, with myself, Bo Johnson, always sponsored by coffee. Um, nothing better than a nice cup of coffee. All right. So y'all have a great day and um, we'll be seeing you down the road. Peace. There you have it, Hot Breath Diverse. If you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, let Bo know. He put in a lot of work researching James, booking James, producing the podcast. And if you want to hear more Hot Breath Pros doing interviews like this, let us know. We're all in this together and we want to make Hot Breath just the dopest for comics by comics platform. You're not alone in this journey. I remember starting comedy 11 years ago and feeling alone and confused. And I want Hot Breath to be that positive and supportive comedy scene that you may not have in your local scene. I know I certainly didn't. So if you want to connect with me directly, I'm in the free Facebook group every day doing a daily writing club. We get a new word and write a new joke. It's called the Write 10 Club. I'm in there. A lot of almost 3,000 other comics around the world are all in there. So click in the show notes, join the Facebook group, and fill out those three questions because if you don't, 
we're not going to let you in because if you can't fill out three questions, how can we expect you to fill out a setup punchline? And if you don't know how, fill out those three questions and you will learn inside that Facebook group, I guarantee it, how to write jokes. We're all in this together. I remember I just did a podcast with Hot Brethren, Jutton Kana, his podcast called Just Kidding. And he was talking about how Hot Breath lets him know he's not alone in this comedy journey. This podcast makes him feel like he is going through this comedy grind with other people. And that's the whole goal at the end of the day. So connect with us over in that free Facebook group. And we'll be back here with another podcast next Monday, Hot Brethren and Sistren. So until then, those of you that know, know I thank my wife at the end of all these. Thank you for making this theme song. And until next Monday, right here on Hot Breath. Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.